Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Rick Riverman, and I will be here today uh, in place of John. I have the privilege of getting to do the message today. John's under the weather. He won't be here today. We're going to talk today about truth. And before we do, I'd like to pray, because the one thing that I have discovered in the last year is that it is so important that we pray continuously, unceasingly. We just have to. Uh, And I would just encourage all of us to pray every time you think of it during the day, no matter what you're doing, pray, because it's, it's all we can do right now. There's just so much uncertainty going on. So, Father, Lord, we do do, we lift you up, Lord, and we lift our church up to you, and we lift John up to you too, Lord, and we pray that you'd heal his body and, and uh, give him the rest that he needs, and we pray for our church, Lord, that you'd give us direction and, uh, and that you'd protect us, Lord, in the coming weeks as, uh, as it seems like the, that this COVID stuff is ramping up a bit again. Um, there's so much confusion, though, Lord, so we pray that you would give clarity uh, to us in, in our prayers to you and that, uh, as one of the young kids said earlier this morning, Lord, just use some common sense. <laughs> And uh, I pray that we, we would all be able to do that. And in your name, we pray, Lord Jesus, our mighty King. 2020 may very well go down in history as, among other things, the year of uncertainty. Uh, if there's any one word that you could use to capture uh, our world and our country today, it would be, it would be uncertainty. And, um, and so that's what I'd like to talk about today is, actually it's what is truth, but that's going to come out of the uncertainty because that's what we have to fall back on all the time. The Bible tells us that faith is a matter of surety and certitude. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, we read, to have faith is to be sure of the things that we hope for and to be certain of the things that we do not see. That's wonderful, wonderful words for us because it tells us that God has got our backs. He's got our, as, we, as they would say in the military, he's got our six. He's covering us during all of this. And I know that it looks so unsure out there. As you turn, if you turn on the television set at home, it doesn't take long to, uh, to start to feel the unsuredness that the rest of the nation feels. But just as soon as you do that, stop right there. Either turn the TV off or, or just know that God is sovereign over this world that we live in. And that anything that goes on in this world that, that will go on only by his acquiescence first. So certainty and uncertainty are at the head of everything that we think and do. And it, it, it's governed by our worldviews, and, and we have a tremendous problem right now in, the, in America, in Oregon, in our communities even, and that is this huge chasm that's de- that has developed between part of the country that, that holds one worldview and another part of the country that holds a completely contradictory worldview. That's where the danger lies. And the two worldviews that are vying for, for uh, dominance in today's world are naturalism 
and theism. Now, there are other worldviews out there in different parts of the world, but, but they're not here in this country. For the most part, it's theism and, de or in, and uh, naturalism. And naturalism is the worldview that maintains that there is no God and that everything that we see here around us is all is what's in nature and nothing more. And it asks, it answers questions. For example, we have probably four, five, six basic questions in life that we can ask, and our worldview is going to dictate what the answer is going to be. And, and the answer is going to be very different depending on what, what worldview that you hold. For example, if you ask the question, is there a God, okay, naturalism is going to say probably not. And, and, and the accent is on the word probably not, probably. It, they won't actually go out and say absolutely not because they know how foolish it is to say something like that. So they'll, they'll try to escape by saying probably not. In other words, I am an agnostic, so I, I don't know. But that translates to no. And that's where it's going to happen. Um, where do things come from? The naturalist is going to say, the Big Bang triggered everything, and before that, we can't say anything for sure. Well, that runs into problems immediately because that's an effect, the Big Bang, without a cause. And that does not make sense. That's not rational. So here we're, we're into irrationality again, which is fine in today's world with, net, with the way that uh, naturalism has become. We have postmodernism to handle that. Uh, how do I know what's right and what's wrong? The basic question in life. That, probably more than any of the four questions that I'm going to ask here, is probably the one that has gone so off base in the last 50 years. Um, we used to have a star to steer by in this country. Uh, and in 1963, we removed that star officially. And then the, cu the culture itself removed the star bit by bit by bit until we have what we have today. And that's so sad, but it's true. And we have to live with it because we're believers in God. God's our sovereign king. And, and we know that it's going to work out in his way and for our best. So we go with that. So what does they say? They say, no, there is no absolute morality. Hence all the various different moral views. As a matter of fact, they go further than that. They say, they say that the morality that you hold is simply whatever feels good for you. And that's pretty much what rules the day in America. So morality has, is, it's, it's found its way into politics in the form of something called political correctness. And basically, if, if, it's, if it's considered to be correct by the prevailing political views in the media, for example, then it's morally true. Well, every one of these views, every one of these questions that I'm answering with naturalism are directly contradicted by our Christian worldview. Finally, the last one is, what happens when I die? The naturalist is going to say, probably that's the end. Here's that word probably again. Probably that's the end. In other words, it's curtains, man. It's extinction. Everything goes black, and you don't have to worry about it. You know, it's very deceiving to hold that view, because when you do, you don't have to worry about any... You can do anything that you want in this world, 
And if you can get away with it, and if you have the power to do it, you don't have to worry about being accountable for it because it's all going to be black and everything's going to go away and so you don't have to worry. It's a great worldview to hold as long as you're living only for this world. Well, but no one knows for sure, again, but no one knows for sure. So you see that all four of these questions are answered, answered by at least 50%, probably far more than that because a lot of Christians believe this stuff too. And uh, that's probably closer to 60 or 70% of the people in the country hold to this worldview. Okay, now, look, look at the difference. Let me ask the, answer the same questions with the, with the worldview that we hold, and that's theism. Is there a God? That's very simple. Yes. Read the first commandment. Very first commandment says, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have other gods before me. That says it all. As a matter of fact, that was, that was Israel's biggest problem throughout the whole Old Testament, was that they went chasing after other gods constantly. And it got them into so much. It got them exiled into Babylon for 70 years, which was horrific. But, of course, that was nothing compared to what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven in 70 A.D., when they ended up getting dispersed throughout all of Europe in the diaspora, and the temple was totally destroyed. So you can see, when God says that he is God, and that there are, another, there are no other gods before him, he means it. And he is patient, but he is not infinitely patient. And I think maybe we're starting to find that out. That's another subject, another rabbit hole. Um, where did everything come from? These are the, the, I'm giving you the simple explanations from the Bible, the most obvious ones. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of places in Scripture I can go to show you where God says these things, okay? Uh, God created the world ex nihilo. Ex nihilo is a Latin term, which means ex is out, out of, and nihilo is nothing. We get the word nihilism or nihilism. Uh, it's what it's what we say in English. It means that you hold that absolutely nothing has any meaning. Uh, well, guess what? That just took care of probably a good percentage of the college students in the country today. Uh, you ask them what they think that the meaning of life is, and they say they'll tell you, "No, there's no meaning in life. Whatever you make it, it's what what it is." So you see that uh, our our God tells us, "No, I made this world," and not only that but I made you too. And you're in this world because I love you. And you're in this world because I want you to be here. I made you in my image. And I want you to be with me for eternity. Now, we can go further into that and find out that we didn't, we didn't really live up to, to our end of the bargain very well, but that's another. we'll find that out as we get into this more. How do I know what's right and wrong? Well, the Bible reveals God's glorious, perfect nature, and it reveals our sinful nature, and it reveals the fact that we can never be with him as it stands. Let me read to you from, from Romans chapter 3, starting in uh, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is Christ in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness 
because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's a nice big long Pauline sentence to tell you that we're sinners. We, we are sinners from the day that we are born and we will be the day that we die and God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that we might be able to be with him forever in heaven. That is, an, that is a wonderful answer to our miserable condition. That is why we so desperately need our God. And that's so sad because the world doesn't see that. As a matter of fact, they're antagonistic towards it. And they are bound and determined that they have the right answers. And they are, at this point, and right now, they are amassing the power to make that happen. And we know where all that goes. We all know, everybody in this room knows where that's headed. I don't have to tell you. And, and uh, I'll get to some other stuff on that in a few minutes. Um, in, order for, in order for you to subscribe to one of these, world, these two worldviews, you, you have to understand and see that both of these worldviews are claiming to know the truth. Both of them are. Uh, and I've already presented some obvious differences in the two. And it, and it becomes that truth is very important in the determin determination of what these worldviews are. And let's see, is this up there? Brian, you can put that up now. Um, this is today. This is our, what is truth is what we're going to talk about here today. And if you look up there, you will see that, um, let's see, where's my... Here we go. You will see that um, there's Pilate there, and this is Jesus, and this is right after that they returned to the podium, after he had taken Jesus into the praetorium and um, talked to him. And that was the famous, famous, famous scene where Pilate looked into his eyes and he said, what is truth? And I think, it's my own subjective idea on this thing, but I'm convinced in my heart that that was the world's greatest irony, that most, the biggest irony the world has ever seen. Because here Pilate, an unbeliever, a, an unregenerate man, is looking in the face of the way, the truth, and the life, and he's asking the rhetorical question, what is truth? How much irony can you get? The scripture that goes with this is uh, found in the King James verse, version here. It starts with 37, 80, John 18, 37, and 38. And it goes, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And he said, and when he had said it, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, and that's where this scene, you can go back to the picture again. Here we go. We'll go back to that. And that's where he, he made the statement, Eche homo, behold the man, I don't find any fault in him. By the way, Eche homo is Roman for behold, here, here is the man. I don't see anything wrong in this guy. Of course, he didn't have the backbone to stand up to the Jews, so he went ahead and let, him, let them condemn him anyway. 
and and here he is. That's a that's a, a famous painting right there. There's by the way, there's quite a few paintings of that scene, and there's another one that's almost just as famous, and it's it's from the rear. Your your the viewer is in behind Pilate and Jesus. It's probably more famous than than Heinrich Himmler or Heinrich Hoffmann's Heinrich Himmler Heinrich Hoffmann's um, version of it. Okay, so let me go back here. Um, you've got the truth, and you've got, you've got people that are making claims for the truth. And you have to ask yourself, what do I do when I encounter the truth? How, how can I respond if I know that if, if somebody is making a claim for the truth, and I can see that that person or whoever it is that's making the claim is making something that is true, how can I, how, how, what, how do I respond to it? And there are different ways that you can do it. Number one is you can ignore it. Now, you can see that happening everywhere we look today. You just simply pretend it isn't there. Uh, we have that going on in politics everywhere. Just pretend like certain events are not occurring. You can reject it. You can say, no, 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 I don't believe that at all. Okay, yeah, yeah, it may have happened, but I don't believe it. Okay. Um, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Wow, I love that. I love that verse. And that's exactly what's going on, is that, is that people are exchanging the truth for a lie. Uh, I've, I've been up here before, and I've talked about this notion of uh, in computer science, I know some of you, some of you people are, are uh, uh, in computer in the computer world, programmers, etc. And I was there for about 27 years of my life early early on. And um, one of the things in computer science is that we have a, a we have a, a state that we call a Boolean state. It only has two states: it's either true or false. Uh, it's either a one or a zero. Now, interestingly enough, this is where it gets good, is that we have one value that represents truth, and that's zero. So if, if the entity, whether it be a byte or a word or whatever you're having to deal with in the computer, if it is a zero value, we consider it to be a Boolean truth. And we use that when we make decisions constantly in the computer science world. Now, guess what? Every other value that can be named infinitely, every other value is a lie. So that means that there is a lot of lies going on out there. And we can see that. In, in, uh, in logic, I used to teach logic. In logic, um, you can say that, that a lie is something that you can tell a lie and and the truth will be very hard to to uh, to be exposed because you're muddying the waters with all the lies. It's a ploy that people use in argumentation. You basically go out and you muddy the waters by throwing out a whole bunch of lies, each one of them having a slight, slight, maybe a bit of plausibility. And what happens is the person that you're talking to gives up because there's so many lies that they lose track of where the truth is. And there we, there we have today. That's what's going on today. So we know that we can reject the truth. We know we can deny it. 
The other thing that we can do is suppress it. And when you suppress the truth, you put your thumb down on it and you disallow it from being spoken or being considered. And if you can't consider the truth, then you have to listen to all the lies. And the lies then have a lot of power. Uh, Someone once said that if you tell a lie enough times that people will eventually will believe it. And the someone that said that was Vladimir Lenin. And we know where Vladimir Lenin, we know where he came from, and we know where his body still lies, and we probably know where he will be for eternity. But um, nevertheless, that's very true, what he said, is that if you do tell enough, people will believe a lie if two things really have to happen. Number one, you've got to do one of these other things to their truth, mainly suppress it, and, and, and plus you've got to tell some really whopper lies that sound good. And that's exactly what we see happening in our world today. So the one thing that you cannot do with the truth, you cannot change it. There's just no way it can be done because it's objective. See, people will tell you today and They'll say, truth is relative. You have your truth, I have my truth. And off we go, merrily. And you look at them and you say, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is. Truth is not relative. Someone gave me a good example of of a plumb line. And if you drop a plumb line, you know what a plumb line is. You drop a plumb line on a string, and there's a weight usually at the bottom of it. And the idea is to find a perfect perpendicular because the plumb line will only stop moving completely when the plumb bob at the bottom, it, and it has, it's, it's usually a long triangular shaped device that's heavy, so eventually it'll stop moving. And when it stops moving, it is absolutely perfectly plumb. There's only one value that that plumb line can be that is perfectly plumb, and that is straight up and down. Everything else is a lie. So you can't change the truth, because the truth is the truth, and it is objective. It is quantifiable. We can we can we can seek for it, seek, uh, search for it. Um, uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart." Okay, so we can search for the truth, and and Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah promises us that we'll find the truth if we seek with all of our heart. That means you've got to give up all the resistance, all the arguments that are so, so weak and so false, and you've got to simply let God be who he is. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then that covers the whole continuum completely. And that means that it's objective. He is the truth. It's, it's, it, it gets us right to, uh, to C.S. Lewis's old saying that said that Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he's telling you the truth about who he is. And that's true. It really is. You have to assume that he's a lunatic, a liar, or telling the truth. The other half of our culture, the, the half that is subscribing to the worldview of, of um, naturalism is maintaining that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic. And if you believe him, you are either a liar or a lunatic. And you hear that. 
You know, we didn't, up until just recently, in the last year or so, couple years, we didn't hear people actually calling Christians lunatics. Oh, you did, you did in some places, but it's got, it's getting to be, it's getting to be mainstream now. More of it happening all the time. That's another sign, by the way, of the end, of the end of the age, is that those kind of things are going to continue to happen in more, in more frequency. Okay, so, uh, by the way, that's from uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, is what I just said about Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, truth, as it's represented in the Bible, and let me tell you, there's tons of it, is, is something like the following. Um, over 300 different times in the Old and New Testament, God says, I am, in some way or some form. He says, I am. And when, when you say, I am, you are making a statement of, uh, you're making a proposition of truth. When, whenever you say, I am something, uh, the, if you use the verb to be, you're making a judgment and you're making a proposition of truth. And if God says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, then that's what exactly what he says. He's, that's, that's what he's doing. And you, as a, as a hearer of those words, have got to make a choice. You've got to decide, am I going to believe this stuff, or am I going to do one of those other things up there? And a lot of people who call themselves Christians today, uh, nominal Christians, will, will go to one of those other things because it conflicts with the worldview that's being, that's being held by the world today, and that's all that other stuff that I just talked about a little while ago. Ooh, you see how ugly it's getting. And, and, it's, and it's really getting dangerous because we're getting, to be, we're getting to be so divided in our culture and in our country that, that at some point things are going to have to start giving. Now, the enemy, there's an old saying, another old saying that says that, that evil will never rest until it overcomes good. And the enemy is not going to sit back and just let this stuff continue like this. It used to be that you had to tolerate your people that you disagreed with, and that we we understood what tolerate meant. You you know it was no problem. You you gave someone their point of view, but you said I disagree with you, so we have to agree to disagree. And that's the way it was in Western culture up until twenty, maybe thirty years ago. And then it became no, no, you have to accept what we say as as our truth. Uh oh, now we got a problem because how can I accept the things that you say about the universe and about what is right and what is wrong, and how can I how can I accept what my God says is right and what is wrong? How can I do that at the same time? It's it's it it violates the law of non contradiction. It violates all rules of logic. How can I do that? Well, people oftentimes didn't think of that because the people who were fostering these beliefs were very clever in how they did it, and. And they, they, they seduced a whole generation of young people into believing these lies. It's just rampant in our education system. I can't tell, I, I was in the last six years of my career, I was involved um, as a teacher, high school teacher. And I can't tell you how, how and that was 10 years ago. And I, I, I just can't tell you how bad it is in the schools and how that teachers who hold the, the naturalistic worldview are allowed to tell their students, our children, 
our grandchildren, they're allowed to tell them that there is no God and that, and that everything is relative. And they go home and they hear us telling them no. And they read God's word and they find out that no, God's word says something very different. So what are these kids supposed to do? You see? And, they, and then we send them off to, then we send them off to college. And unfortunately, we're not with them when they go off to college. And so if they don't, if, if, if they don't go to a college that teaches God's word, which, which 90% of them don't, then they're going to be susceptible to all these lies with no way to back, to, 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 to seek the truth out. They're not going to be able to do that. And so as a consequence, they're going to be vulnerable. And that's, that's not good. So let's go through the New, Test, New Testament and let's just look at all the places where truth is spoken of and, uh, and where Jesus talks about the truth. Number one, he calls himself the truth. And, of course, we remember that from John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That statement right there is just about as bold as it can possibly be about who God is. Now, if you reject that statement, or if you deny it, or if you ignore it, or if you suppress that statement, then you're basically telling God, Buzz off, because I don't believe you. And you cannot hold that. You cannot hold that naturalistic any part of that naturalistic worldview and still believe what Jesus just said. That's just one example. Okay. Uh, the New Testament pre- presents that Jesus was full of truth, and that we find in John one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. There we have it. He is full of truth. What a thing. What a such a such a monumental statement. This is the kind of thing that we know in our hearts, everyone in here today. This is the kind of thing we've got to be talking to the world about when we get our opportunities to do it. Because they are so lost. And you know, I think more than any time that I can remember in modern time, more than any time, the world is more open to hearing the gospel than it has been before. Last year at this time, in, in, in November of last year, I would have, if I would have stood up here talking to you then, I would have not been able to make that statement. Because at that time, it was very difficult to get the world to even pay any attention to what we were talking about, let alone accept anything. They didn't have time for us. The economy was booming their lives were a shambles, but they didn't know it. They, um, they just weren't open to the gospel. Well, that's all changed, and things are a lot different now. So maybe God will open some doors for us. Jesus told the truth, the way, truth, and life told the truth. And this is from John 8, verses 39 through 45. They answered and they said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have but one father, God. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the start, from the very beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Oh boy, does that ever sum it all up? Okay, people right today are looking for what their itching ears want to hear. And there are other people out there that are telling them what their itching ears want to hear. And as a consequence, we have this chasm that's developing in our, in our, in our culture. And, uh, and it's, it's not good. Okay, so Jesus taught the way of God in truth. Um, this is from Matthew chapter 22. And they sent their disciples to him, along with Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful, and you teach the way of God in truth, and you defer to no one. You are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice, and he said, Are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Scratching their, I added this, scratching their heads. You know, what is it with this guy? This, this makes sense what he's saying. Well, of course it made sense, because it was the truth. Here's that truth again. It's wonderful stuff. I just love the truth. And, and you'll find that there are people out there who are not believers who do love the truth. And unfortunately, maybe before this is all said and done, they're going to get saved. Those are the kind of people that we've got to seek out and try to talk to. Because if someone loves the truth, then that means that they'll be open to the truth. And if they're open to the truth, there it is. The whole New Testament's full with it. Good, a good, a good uh, challenge for you would be to go home after, after church today, sometime during the day, get on the computer, do a search, Bible Gateway or somewhere, do a search on truth, the word truth, in the New Testament, pick, a new, pick anyone you want to, uh, and then look and see how many times that it is referenced. And you're going to find there's just going to be time after time after time. Look at all the contexts at which you see it. And that will help you to formulate your understanding of how Jesus presented the truth to us while he was with us. And that will help you go such a long ways in being able to speak to people who do not know the truth and who do not understand what's going on around them. And that's why they're so unsure of what tomorrow holds. People are so afraid of this COVID stuff. And it, I look at people, grown adults with college degrees, PhDs, and I look at them running around scared so badly from this when the statistics tell them 
that the only people who are dying from it are for the vast majority are people older who have underlying conditions, the vast majority. The young people that get it are not. So you see what I mean? It's just tough. Okay, uh, he taught about the truth. Uh, all, all these different aspects of the truth I'm trying to cover in the New Testament. Um, John eight thirty one. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Up until then, uh, if you go to, if you go to Ro- Romans 8, I think it is, up until then, you will see that we are slaves to the lies. When you're a sinner, before you're, before you're saved, before you're born again, you are a slave to a lie. You can't do anything except believe the lie. You can't believe the truth because you're not capable of believing the truth because the Holy Spirit is not in you. And so, once you know the truth, once you believe in Jesus, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free is an interesting phrase because if you go to Langley, Virginia, and you go into the CIA headquarters at Langley, Virginia, and you look on the wall of the big, of the big uh, um, um, uh, st- station there, you will see a great big emblem, and on the emblem it will say that the truth will make you free, right straight from this scripture, and it's on our CIA. And I think during the tribulation, if the United States is still around, then that probably will go away. Uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Okay, so he also came into the world to bear witness to the truth, and we talked about that up here with, with John when he said, when he told Pilate that he came to bear witness to the truth. So you have Jesus doing all of these things with the truth, and that is there. I'm, the reason why I'm going all over through, through all of this today is, is to, I want to encourage everyone here. I want you to, to be able to go and, and speak the truth. And without fear to people in this world today, I am convinced in my heart, and this is a conviction, but it's a conviction borne out from simply looking around me. I am convinced that we are very, very close to the rapture. And we are at the end of the age, as Jesus taught it. And he gave us all of these things, signs to look for at the end of the age. And a lot of them are spoken of in Matthew chapter chapter 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse because he he talked to them up on the Mount of Olives and they were asking him pointed questions about just that. How will we know? What will be the sign of you coming back again? And Jesus went on and he he gave them item after item after item that they should look for. Now, the argument among within Christianity, the argument has been uh, for years and years has been that, oh, these things are happening all the time. So it's no different than it, than it has been. But that's not true. For one thing, up until 1948, there was no state of Israel. And so it was very difficult when the whole book of Revelation, after the third chapter, speaks about the Jews, because at the third chapter, the, the church is raptured into heaven, and, the, and, the, and what's left are the people that are going to go through the tribulation, what they're going to be unbelievers. And so... And they talk, and it talks about 144,000 Jewish, Jewish Billy Grahams out there preaching the word. 
You imagine, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but in my life, starting way back in the early 80s, I ran across what we call them Messianic Jews, people who are Jewish and, and tra- well-trained in Jewish, like, like Paul was, and they've come to know Jesus, and there's nothing like these guys, okay? They, they have a perspective on God's word that most people don't have simply because they understand the Old Testament the way they do. And so they're able to show and present Jesus in the Old Testament once they understand what the truth is. And it's amazing. Sid Roth is one of those guys. And he's getting old now. He's up in his, I think he's around 80 now. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm old too. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, <laughs> he's up there. And, and he, and he, but he's been talking about this. He's, he's a Messianic Jew. But I first, I first ran across him in 1982 when I got saved. And uh, I was so impressed. I, was so, I sat on the edge of my seat in front of the television set. I'm sitting there glued to this stuff because I was raised Catholic. And I, had, I, had, I knew all of the stuff he was talking about in the Bible, but I had never connected it this way before. And I remember it was, uh, it was on, uh, it was on the, uh, the... They used to have a show on Channel 2 here. It was, it was a, a Sunday morning show, and they used to invite a rabbi... Uh, a rabbi, uh, a, a priest, a Catholic priest, and a, and a Protestant minister, and then they would have a guest speaker, and Sid Roth was the guest speaker that morning. And so here, here I was on the edge of my seat, just taking in all this stuff this guy was saying, and the guys that were in the studio, the priest and the rabbi and the, and the, uh, and the minister were doing the same thing. They were all sitting on the edge of their seat. He had them. And all he was doing was preach the God, preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. And it was just amazing. It was amazing. Now, since then, that has become pretty much common knowledge, all that stuff that he was talking about. But at 1982, it wasn't. So you can see that a lot of things have changed over those years. Okay, so in the Old Testament, we find that he is the true God I won't, I'm not going to go and, and quote these, these uh, scriptures from me because I'll be here all day long. Um, but, but he's spoken of, God has spoken of over and over and over again as being the truth. And we see it, what do I have here, 10 or 15 different references to this stuff. Uh, first of all, he is the true God, and that's in Second Chronicles 15.3. And then we have, we have, he is the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he keeps the truth forever. And that's in Psalms 146. He is truth. Faithfulness goes for, before his face. And that is in Psalm 89. His truth, his faithfulness, reaches to the clouds. That is in Psalm 57. His words are true and trustworthy. That is in 2 Samuel Chapter 7, his, his, the judgments of the Lord are true. That is in Psalm 19. All the paths of the Lord are true. That is in Psalm 25. You see, it's everywhere. His law is true. That I will stop a little bit on. That's in Psalm 119. And the reason why I'd like to stop there for just a second is Psalm 119 is one of my favorite psalms. It just happens to be the longest psalm in the Bible. It's a biggie. And um, interesting thing about Psalm 119, David wrote this when he was young, and he talks about God's word. 
and he talks about how important God's word is to him. And he spends that whole song with, with verse after verse after verse exclaiming how wonderful God's word is to him and why it's so important that we should follow God's precepts, we should obey his commands, we should listen to what he has to say, just on and on. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. On and on and on he goes, verse after verse. There's a great example. If you're looking for truth, go there, and you'll find a whole 256-some-odd verses of truth after truth after truth. This is a good place to take a friend if you can get them to look at the Bible. You can take your friend and you can show them. This is why I believe this. It's because it so overwhelmingly supports what God says about himself. It's not, used to be, it used to be that in Christianity for so many years that people would say, I believe that God is the truth because I feel it in my heart. And that was very popular uh, through the 80s and even in, through the 90s. Pretty soon, people started realizing that God is not based on a feeling. He's based on your heart, but that doesn't mean your feelings, like so many people think it is. We're supposed to worship him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Peter says in Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, is that we should always be prepared to give an accounting, that's, that's thinking, an accounting of the hope that is within us. Okay, so so these psalms, all these places that I'm sending you today, uh, especially Psalm, it, it, don't worry about the rest of them. Just go to Psalm 119, and, and that's that's a good place to start. But if you if you read those things, and if you get get yourself versed in that, then you're ready to go out and talk to these people who are so hopeless right now, because they are. They're just hopeless. And the ones that are, it's even more pathetic, are the ones that are hopeless. And they're so uncertain about what's going on. I'm talking up. I'm I'm up here talking about the truth today, and I'm talking about my Savior, my King, who is the way and the truth and the life. Never before in my life, and I'm getting up there too, and never before in my life has Jesus been, has Jesus spoke to my heart and to my mind so clearly as right now. One of the things that I find that I cannot do anymore is I cannot hardly go an hour in the day without praying. I can't do it because all I have to do is turn that computer on and click on one of those websites somewhere and look at what the news media is saying about things and I find myself praying about it and praying that God's sovereignty will be upheld knowing full well that no matter what these people say, and no matter what they do, that God's sovereignty is, is superior to all of that. And that he is going to be the one that's going to have the last word. Remember with Joseph, when, when after John talked about this a few weeks ago, when Joseph, um, um, after, his, after he, had, he had received his brothers and they had all made their amends and everything, and his brothers were so afraid that he was, he was going to after Jacob died, that he was going to come after them because of what they had done to him. And, and he overheard them saying that, and he came, he went to them, and he said, you, you meant all of that harm for me, 
for, as harm, but he said God didn't see it that way. God meant it for good. We, we didn't see it that way because we couldn't see it at the time. He, Joseph certainly couldn't when he was in jail all those years. But nevertheless, that's what God did. So when we think that life's getting tough for us right now and the rapture hasn't occurred yet, then don't, 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 think it, don't, don't feel too badly. I just read a, I read a novel that talked an awful, awful lot about the, um, uh, uh, the Holocaust. And the novel was a novel. It was a fictional story. But a lot of the information in it, especially the factual information about the, the, the prisoner of war camps in, in uh, Poland, were, were very accurate. And I hadn't, thought about the, uh, I hadn't thought about the Holocaust in a long time. And I couldn't help but just think, you know, those people went through hell on earth for, for, well, actually it started in 1932, 33. 1933 was when, is when Hitler came to power in the Bundestag, was 1933, okay? That's a long time before World War II. And, and every year after that, little things happened. Little pieces were put into place. Every, every year, a, a little more incremental things went on. And the next thing you knew, in 1938, we had something called Kristallnacht, which, which occurred uh, just, it, it was in November, I think it was November the 9th, 1938, and that's where, it was, a, it was an organized uh, riot throughout the nation, and, and thugs took baseball bats, and they went out, and they broke the windows out of anybody who was known to be a Jew, okay, and that happened in 1938. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar about some of the things that are going on right now with with thugs going around and breaking up things with, uh, with, with baseball bats and so forth. So you see that it does strike home, okay? Um, the rapture, I talked about that when I first started talking today, and I said I'm convinced that it's coming, and it's soon, but we don't know when. We just don't, and it can come at any time. It could come while I'm talking here right now. It could come... A year from now, who knows? But it's coming, and it's coming soon. So what do we do? We know that. We know it's coming. We know that when it does happen, we're going to be taken to be with the Lord in heaven, and we're going to be at the marriage feast of the Lamb while all this stuff's going on on earth. And I heard a lot of Christians say, well, so what? We're going to be in heaven. We don't have to worry about it. So why should we worry now? And, and I'm thinking, no, 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 no. That's not the way to be, is that we know things right now that are coming for people who have no idea of what they're headed for. And that is our job, while we're still here, is to make those people aware of it. Now, they can you have to run the risk that maybe they're going to tell you, no, they don't want to hear it. Okay, they didn't want to hear it. That's like the watchman in Ezekiel. You know, he, he was there to watch. If he, if he watched and he saw the enemy coming and he warned the people and the people didn't do anything about it, was, then what happened was on their head. But if he watched and he saw the enemy coming and he didn't tell the people, then when the enemy came, it was on his head, the watchman's head. So that's what, that's what the deal is with us here now, is that when we, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, that's for us Christians, and it's not a it's not a it's not a judgment 
heaven or hell type judgment. It's the judgment seat of the, what we've done on earth from what Christ has told us to do. When we get to that point, it will be a loss if we have to say, I didn't speak because I, didn't, I was afraid that they might laugh at me or something. I don't want that to happen. I, I, I don't want it to happen to me. And it does from time to time. I, I, I am afraid to speak out because I don't, I'm afraid that somebody's going to say something to me. I don't want that to happen. So I don't want it to happen for anybody in here either. So I, I, I would encourage everybody, think about that, pray about that. Go read the Bible and find out where all the truth is spoken of in this, in this word, in God's word. And be prepared to give an accounting of the hope that is within you all these people who are so desperately in need of of hope right now. Real, true hope. Let's pray. Father, Lord, um, Lord, it it just would be so easy to run and hide in your word and just not say anything or do anything, Lord, but we know that you have more, you have much more for us than that. And Lord, we want, to, we want to do your will. We want to be your servants while we're here. We want you to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant, when we come before you in the kingdom, Lord. And so we pray that you would, that you would open our hearts and that you would give us things that you have already planned out for us to do. And that we would, Lord, have, be able to, you'd give us the faith to step out in faith and do them. And, and even though... We may be a little intrepid. Then I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the courage to face all of these things that are out there in faith, Lord, and in truth, because that's who you are, and that's what you want for us to do. And Father, Lord, I, I thank you. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you are doing for us during these terrible times and these days of so much uncertainty. In, in our country, in our culture, in our communities, in our families, even in our families, Lord. I, I, just, I just pray, Lord, that, um, that you just be with us, Lord, and that, you would, and that you would bless us, Lord, and give us the grace to be your children the way you want us to. In your name, in your precious sweet name, Lord Jesus, you who are our King and our Messiah, we, we pray, Lord. Amen.